a number of visitors. We welcome you as well. Davies and Daryl's especially. Welcome. And others, many others. Glad that you're here. Uh, this morning, um, we're on the eve of the morning of the eve of Christmas, and it's a special occasion. I'd like to just, before we pray here, note the final verse that we sang. Um, I just found it to be really powerful, and it, it, it uh, somewhat meshes with the message that I have this morning. Beautiful song that we sang there. It says that... Um, um, the, the, the next to last verse talks about getting gems from the mountains, pearls from the ocean, gold from the hills, gold from the mine. But then it says, vainly we offer each ample oblation. Vainly we would offer those things. Vainly with gifts would we his favor secure. All the gifts that we can give can never secure our favor with the Lord. This babe that is we celebrate being born... Richer by far is the heart's adoration. That's what God is after. Dearer to God are the prayers of the poor. That's the, uh, the author when he penned that had a, a powerful and uh, correct view of what God is after. So as we come before the Lord this morning for the worship and uh, looking into his word, let's bow our heads and pray that he would, they would meet us here this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and uh, in this time and season when we commemorate and celebrate your birth, we ask, Lord, that we would be able to correctly view uh, with proper celebration uh, this momentous occasion. And this morning as we come together as a body of believers to worship, we ask, Lord, that you would meet us here. Would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts? And... uh, Encourage us, Lord, in time, in, in areas maybe that we are discouraged. And help us, Lord, to turn our faces towards you, to see you who you really are, and the sacrifice that you really did make for us and for our sakes. And to humbly come before you and accept that gift. Help us, Lord, to worship and to praise you in all parts of this service. Would you receive the honor and the glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't realize when the schedule was made that uh, I would be preaching the Christmas message this year. I did last year as well. And uh, to my fellow ministers, I apologize. One of you should be up here. And we're going to try to do better on our scheduling next year since I'm in charge of that as well. I didn't realize it when I, when I put it together, but so be it. As I contemplated uh, the message for this morning, I realized that the glamour of Christmas and the lights and the tinsel and those things, I often think about how they distract in some way. There's a celebration, but in some ways they distract us from the true meaning of what Christmas maybe really is, the magnitude of what Christmas really means. And as I was thinking about that, and as I... In my mind, as I thought about the, the, the thing that we're celebrating, the birth of our Savior, 
it just, I just realized that I, I don't know that I'm qualified to verbalize, give justice to what that really means this morning. I can only touch the surface, and we're going to try that as best as we can. Max Lucado wrote a book, uh, and he titled it, God Came Near. And as I thought about that title, God Came Near. God Came Near. And that's what Christmas is all about, and that's what we want to look at this morning. When I consider this, it humbles me. When I see a manger scene, like we often do throughout Christmas time, I think of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, of the Father, coming down to this earth. But then my mind loses the capacity to fully comprehend what, what really happened on that morning, on that day, when Jesus came. When God came near. What, what, what were the implications? The Apostle John said it well when he said, The Word was God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt with and, and, and came to us. John 1 1. The beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then verse 14, it says, And the word was made flesh. The word was with God, the word was God, and the word was made flesh. That, to me, that's where my mind stops fathoming what really is happening here. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, and truth. Jesus in his ministry said this in John 14. Let's read John, John chapter 14. I'd like to read that just as we begin contemplating this morning on the birth of Christ. John chapter 14. And what... what what does it mean that the Word was God and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us? John chapter 14, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. John 14, St. John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my, father's house, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? He was puzzled. And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. 
And for henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. And Philip saith unto him, These are his disciples, have been with him this whole time, and they're puzzled by what he's saying. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. And Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me in the very works, for the very works' sake. I don't want to have this scripture say anything more than what it's intended to say. But when I, when I read that, if ye have seen me, ye have seen the Father. I don't want to complicate it. God is a spirit, and he dwelt in Jesus. And he came in the flesh, in the form of Jesus. The word was God, and became flesh and dwelt among us. That is where my mind has a hard time. It's the Trinity, the picture of the Trinity there. And that's what we, sh that's what we celebrate this morning. In John 1, 5, it says, And the light shineth in darkness. It came, he came and shone in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended him not. They didn't understand what was happening here. And now we, 2,000 some years later, we think we understand what's happening when we celebrate Christmas. But sometimes we celebrate it every year, and we lose the critical importance of what's, what we're celebrating when God came near. I'm not out to scold how we celebrate Christmas. I think it's important. And we sang this morning, as I was sitting there singing with you all, I thought, well, maybe we understand it more than I think, or more than I do. But as I was, as I was studying, I was, this was the things that were on my mind. I'm only sharing what was, was on my mind. Before I raise my hands in celebration, have I bowed my knee and my head and knelt before God and thanked him, begged him for his acceptance because of what he has done for me? Am I seeing clearly the purpose of Jesus coming as a babe? Bob Edens lived in Columbia, South Carolina. Bob was born blind, couldn't see. He, for over 50 years, he lived and went through life blind. Graduated from Furman University. He was married and they had a daughter. For five decades he felt and heard his way through life. And then in the early 80s, a surgeon repaired his detached retina and performed a corneal transplant. And Bob, for the first time, was able to see again. And these are some of the things he said. I have never... I never would have dreamed that yellow was so yellow. I can see the shape of the moon. And he, for the first time, saw a leaf floating down. And he saw the vapor trail left by a jet. Because those are things you can't see or touch. I mean, you can't touch or hear. But he could see them now, and it was amazing to him. 
My question this morning is, have I really seen Jesus for who he is? This babe that was born in Bethlehem. God, when he came near, do I, do I really see him for who he is? Second Peter, Peter says that he was an eyewitness of his majesty. 1 John 4, 14, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen and do testify. They saw him. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And the first, the John verse where it says that he became flesh. If we read that one again, John 1, 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We saw it, the glory of God shining through Christ, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Oh, that our eyes would be open to see his glory this morning, this year, and see the glory of Christ, past all the lights and the decorations, to really see the glory of the only begotten. The purpose of this message today is that, that we would recognize that Maybe we, maybe we are blind. Maybe, maybe we have at least compromised, distorted sight of what the significance of God coming near. Maybe I didn't really see what that really meant to me, to the world, but that I could grasp how absolutely powerful, how absolutely necessary it was that Jesus came when he did. He came not to the mighty and, the, and to royalty, he came to the lowly. God came near in the most bizarre way. He came to a, a stable in Bethlehem. A smelly, dirty stable. I can imagine the cobwebs. I can imagine the dirtiness, the smelly, muddy stalls. The smell of farm animals overpowering the smell of the hay. That's where he came. It was drafty. In December in, Jan in, in, in Indiana, we often, it was probably chilly, cold. But there they were. That is where God has sent his only begotten. Bethlehem was oblivious to what was happening there in that stable. They were about their business, many of them sleeping in the night. The only ones that were awake were the shepherds. And here was a bewildered young couple who was traveling, travel weary. And they were there, scared, worried, I'm sure. Maybe they were glad to be away from their hometowns because everybody was wondering, what is this story that they are saying? She is pregnant with, by the Holy Spirit? How can this be? Their friends were looking at them funny. Their families maybe even. And now they were gone and they were away and they were alone and here they were I can imagine Joseph was probably a mess the lowliness of the birth of Christ why why would God orchestrate it this way there could have been so many other options but I believe that some of those reasons can be found in the scripture in Isaiah 61 1 if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Isaiah 61.1. 1. 
we're going to work our way through that scripture and just think about what he's saying to us there. Isaiah 61. Isaiah is prophesying the birth of the Savior. Isaiah 61.1 says there that the Spirit of God is upon me. The Spirit of God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach. And these were the words that Jesus spoke when he, when he opened up the scroll in the temple, if you remember, when he, when he, when he was physically here on the earth. He has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. Why did he come to the lowly? Because the purpose of Jesus was to preach good tidings to the meek. And it says there, recently Brother Vanson shared a message of, of the meek shall inherit the earth. The low, the down and outer person, they shall inherit. Jesus, God sent Jesus, Jesus to preach good tidings to the meek and the lowly. Luke says that he came preaching to the poor. He came in lowliness because he came to preach to those that were down and out. We come to him. We can come to him at our lowest point. When things are coming apart at the seams, we can come to Jesus because he understands. He knows what it is to be in lowliness. God sent him his only begotten to a, to, a, to a decrepit, dusty stable. Our brokenness and our dirtiness is no surprise to him. He welcomes us with open arms. He came preaching good tidings to the meek. And he speaks to us the good news of his kingdom. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the message to the meek and lowly. And then it says that he sent him, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To bind up the brokenhearted. He doesn't criti criticize us for our neediness. No, he binds it up. He bandages it. He bandages our wounds. He doesn't reject us because we're wounded. No, he gathers us in, and he binds us up. I can see him. I can imagine seeing him walking through a room of wounded people. Bandages, bandaged, bedridden people, touching them, encouraging them, comforting them. Our enemy has wrought havoc in God's kingdom, amongst God's people. He slings his darts at random to try to, to, to damage us and to wound us. But Jesus is going about binding up the brokenhearted. Those that have been misused and taken advantage of. The ones that no longer trust anyone. He can heal that wound. Luke says, Luke says it that way. To heal the brokenhearted. In Isaiah it says that he binds up the broken. In Luke it says he heals the brokenhearted. That's our Savior. He came in such lowliness so that he is acquainted 
with our grief. He's acquainted with the brokenhearted. And this word, this, this brokenhearted word in the Strong's has the idea of being crushed completely, shattered, broken to shivers. That's the brokenness that he sees. Have you come to a place like that where you're broken? Jesus came to, pre- to heal that brokenness. He preaches good tidings to the meek. He binds the broken heart. He, proclaim, he proclaims liberty to the captives. Proclaim. Luke says preaches deliverance to the captives. This may very well be when Isaiah was preaching this, this, this message may have very well been heard by the, by the captives and captive peop, Israelites in, in Babylon. Physical captivity. But what is the lesson for us? Jesus can set us free if we're captive. What is the the vice that has captivated my life? My heart, your heart. He can set us free. He wants to come and set us free. That's why he came. And then it says, and opening up the prison to them that are bound. The enemy would tie us up in his web of lies in whatever way he could. We can never measure up to him, to, to, his, to his power. And, he, and he, he will give us the lies that we can never measure up for God. You're, you're not nearly good enough. You're from the wrong side of the tracks. You don't have the right last name. On and on he wraps his lies about us and ties us up. He binds us up until we are so bound. We're not, we feel like we're no use to the kingdom of God. But Jesus came to set us free. We're bound and he he wants to set us free. We become despondent. We we, we contemplate giving up. He wants to set us free. Jesus is proclaiming liberty to us from that. Jesus is opening the doors, the prison doors to let us out. That's not who we are in Christ. Luke also mentions liberty to the bruised. When Jesus spoke this word to the, to the, in the synagogue, liberty to the bruised and recovering sight for the blind. We may be battered, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually battered, but Jesus wants to, to heal us. Like we've been through a major fight. We're weak. We may be black and blue. Our heads may be down and our shoulders may be slumped. Jesus is bringing us liberty from that. That's what he came to do. And he's about giving us new eyes to see, like Bob Eden's, to, to heal the blindness in us, to see who he really is and why he really came. New eyes to see what he sees. New eyes to see his glory and his splendor. New eyes to see the needs around us in others. Why did God send his only begotten into a broken world? To the lowliest of people. The message was first shared to the shepherds, the the outcasts of society. It may be because that's who he comes to today. Even still today, he comes to the brokenhearted And he comes to the humble heart, the person who sees his own brokenness. That's where Jesus comes to today still. In John, excuse me, in Matthew 9, 11, it says, 
the Pharisees were seeing that Jesus was eating with sinners and, and they came to his disciples and said, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard what, when, he, when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Jesus came for the sick. But go ye and learn what that, what that meaneth. This is what Jesus was telling them. I didn't, the ones that are whole don't need a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's what Jesus came for. He came in this lowliness because he came for those that were broken. He came for those that were sick. And he came for the sinners that needed repentance. That's why we have, that's why we are able to gather here today is because we were those sinners and broken people and he can heal us. What a savior. What a savior. I have one scripture that I'd like to look at yet and I'm going to put it on the board. I'll try here. There we go. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's think about this just a bit yet this morning before we close. He shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful. Full of wonder. Marvelous. It has the idea of being a miracle. He was a miracle. Psalm 77, 14. Thou art the God that dost wonders. And this Jesus was and still is wonderful. The scribes and the doctors wondered at the young boy that was in their midst. Talking to them about teaching them in the synagogue. They wondered at his wisdom. The crowds gathered wherever he went. There was a quality, a character quality about him that was different from everybody else. It was mysterious. It was compelling. People knew that he was more than just a mere man. He was, what was it about this, this man? He was in direct contact with God. He healed by touching. He healed by speaking. He healed when someone came up and just touched his garment. He didn't condemn, but he challenged them. He was wonderful. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And when he spoke, they listened in wonder. His words were full of grace and truth, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes, but with one with authority, grace, and truth. He raised the lame to walk. He raised the dead to life. Everywhere he went, he impacted with good, for good. He was wonderful. More than a celebrity. In his presence, they had hope. And they clung to that. He goes across the ocean to the sea, to another place, and they run around on land to get to where he was. They wanted to be with him. 
He shall be called Wonderful. Do you know this wonderful Savior? Is he a wonder to you? Do you find him wonderful? They shall call him Wonderful. They shall call him Counselor. He shall, he shall be called Counselor, the giver of advice. I will instruct thee, Psalm 32. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that thou should go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That's the same word as counselor. Guide. He, he guides us in where we should go. The psalmist also said, I will bless the Lord. He hath given me counsel. When we pray and we seek his face, that's what we're doing. We're saying, oh God, I need your counsel. I need your advice. Which way should I go, God? I don't know. I don't know the way. I need direction. And he hears us. And we can have the confidence that not only does he hear us, but he cares about us. His advice is pure and good. He would not give us bad advice. He would not counsel us in wrong ways. He's called counselor. Not only because he listens to those that come to him, but he is full of wisdom. His ways of teaching are not biased by who we are or what we've done. It's pure and true. His counsel is wisdom. His wisdom is, he is wisdom personified. His thoughts, his ways are beyond ours. His counsel is heavenly wisdom. He is wonderful. He is counselor. He is the mighty God. The mighty God. There is no match. There is no equal. There is no other above him. He is mighty. He is a warrior. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He builds up and he can tear down. Whose side am I on? All the others will lose. He is the mighty God. He is the mighty God. Isaiah prophesied that this babe that was to come would be God in the flesh. God in the flesh. The Word of God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The mighty God. They shall call him The mighty God. There is no other word more explicit than that God came near. He is to be called the everlasting Father, the Father of eternity, one with the Father. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. It is everlasting. As Father, we have, we have the idea of an overseer and a protector and a provider, a leader forever. He's to be called the Prince of Peace, the Giver of Peace, the Sustainer of Peace. Peace in the midst of turmoil. Peace that passeth understanding. That is the God of Peace, the Prince of Peace. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let your, not your heart be troubled, troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Prince of Peace calls us to leave our troubles and our fears with Him. Take the peace He offers and rest in Him. As a prince 
of peace. He fights our enemy on our behalf. Matthew Henry said this, As a king, he preserves the peace. He commands peace. Nay, he creates peace in his kingdom. He doesn't delight in turmoil. He doesn't delight in dissension or chaos. He delights in peace. And in Luke, Luke one thirty-two, it says that he shall be great. The, the, all the words that we talked about there were things that he should... The government shall be upon his... His name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are his names. In Luke one thirty-two, it says that he shall be great. He shall be called... This is another name from, from Luke. The Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He is all those things, including the Son of the Highest. I have two scriptures that are just, as I was reading them, they're so powerful. 1 John 4, 9. And this was manifested the love of God toward us. In this, in this was the love of God manifested toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world. That's how it's manifested. That we might live through him. Do I fully grasp what Christmas means? And in Matthew 17.5 it says, While he yet spoke, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the clouds which said, This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved Son in whom, I'm, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. He is to be called the Son of the Highest. He is the beloved, the only begotten Son of the Father. Let us adore him. And this morning I'd like to, in that thought, Kneel, if you're able to, kneel, and let's pray that God would meet us this Christmas season. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We are unworthy to be called your children, but you've chosen us to be that. You've given us the right to be called your sons and your daughters because of the work of the cross, the coming of your son into the world to redeem us. We were those sick ones that he came to heal. We were those ones that were brokenhearted that he came to bind up. Thank you, Lord, for coming. And as we celebrate, Lord, this time of Christmas, May we not be distracted by the Christmas trees and the lights and the tinsel. But in spite of all of that, that we would remember that were it not for Christmas, we would be forever lost because Jesus would not have come. We celebrate that. We ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to be mindful as we celebrate, to celebrate you because you are worthy. We adore you in Jesus' name. Amen.